Mark chapter 2, verse 1, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Now, every once in a while, when in some conversations, I brought this up to people, and some people are more resistant to this because of religion. Religion has taught us things like, how many have heard the verse that the Son of Man has no place to rest his head? And, now, this is not what Jesus taught, but this is how most people understand it. Jesus had no house. That's how most people understand it. Jesus had no home. But that's not actually what the Bible teaches. Now, if you're traveling around and you go into a new city, do you have a home? Do you have a place to lay your head? No. But I want you to take a look at this. You can read right past this in the English, but if you're reading this in the Greek, you won't read past it. In the Greek, it says this, and it was heard that he was in the house. That word there, the, it is in the Greek, which means house has the article, which means he is not in a house, he is in the house. What makes one house the house in Capernaum? Why of all the houses is this one the house? If you read in the, uh, the NET, the New English Translations, and there are several other translations that will do this as well. I just pulled this one out. Now after some days, when he returned to Capernaum, the news spread that he was at home. Hmm. He was at home. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. Let me read this for you. This is the same encounter. Matthew's writing it. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Was Jesus raised in Capernaum? He was not. Where was Jesus raised? Nazareth. Where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. Why is Capernaum his own city? Now, let me ask you this question. Where You don't have to answer this. Just answer it in your head. Where do you live? What is your city? Me? Montgomeryville. We actually go by Lansdale because they're the ones who deliver our mail, but we don't live in Lansdale. We live in Montgomeryville. If you live, if you have the address of Percocy, you have no idea where you live. Because <laughs> Percocy delivers everybody's mail up in that neck of the woods. You can be in some little tiny town and next door to you, they deliver their own mail, but yours don't, so you get a Percocy zip code. I always tell people when, they're, when they want me to deliver a bunk bed and they give me a, a Percocy's address. All right, now, now you've got to give me the full street because I have no idea where you are. <laughs> you could be 30 minutes apart in Percocy. You have no idea where that this is because just the, the way they set it up. But what makes your city your city? You live there. You either bought a house, rent an apartment, you do something that this makes it your city. Is there any other way for a city to be your city unless you live in it? Unless you call it home. This is Jesus' hometown. Now, Weiss picks this up. If you ever look at Weiss notes on this, Weiss picks this up, but Weiss makes an assumption that several other translators, or not translators, but commentators will do. They make the assumption that because Peter lives in this city, that the house is Peter's house. But it's not, because we already have verses that show us when they were at Peter's house. They use different phraseology for it. This is his house. This is Jesus' house. This is the home that he apparently purchased. 
and the home from which he apparently works in Capernaum. In case you didn't know that, this is his own city. It said that after some days, and again he entered Capernaum after some days. The NET says after some days when he returned to Capernaum. Well, you'll see that he returns a lot to Capernaum. Why? Because it's his hometown. He leaves his hometown and he goes. What was Paul's base of operation? Paul and Barnabas, what was their base of operation? Anybody remember? Antioch. So they would go out on the mission field and when did they return to? They returned to Antioch. They didn't return to Jerusalem. Paul makes it very clear. I'm not from those. I'm not from Jerusalem. (laughs) I'm from Antioch. He was sent out by the apostles in Antioch. Verse 2. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Now, this is just sort of a common side thing. If you're a single guy, you have no intention of getting married, having kids, how big of a house do you buy? I don't think this is a really huge house, but maybe he had this in mind. You know, when I'm here, I want to be able to entertain people to be able to teach them. So maybe he got something with a bigger floor plan to be able to do that. Don't know. But however big it was, it was full. There was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. So they couldn't even get by the door to hear what was going on. And he preached the word to them. Now, notice this. What got them to come to the meeting What got them to fill out the place was not miracles. It was the preaching of the word. How did, how did people who saw Jesus grow up, how did they receive his wisdom from the word of God? You remember that? Not real well, did they? Who is this? I mean, can anyone come out of Nazareth and and learn these things? Wait a minute, we knew Jesus when he was a boy. This, this, he can't be a prophet. But he moved to Capernaum. They said, oh, who is this guy? They don't know him as a little boy. They know him as the minister, Jesus. The rabbi, the, the, the priest, the prophet, whatever they wanted to call him. And he preached the word to them. So basically it was like this. Jesus is out ministering to the other places. He comes back to Capernaum. Ah, Jesus is here. Let's go over to his house, see what he wants to teach. And so they all come on over to see what they want to teach. Let's see what's going on with, with this. So he preached the word to them. They were hungry to hear the word. Then they came, verse 3, Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now, that seems like a lot of people, four guys to carry the guy. It seems like you could probably do it with two. But they have four. Bring them in. We used to have a sign. We used to put these signs up on the window to uh, attract some of the people that were walking on by. Uh, But most people don't read English who walk by anymore, so we don't put them out a whole lot. But we had one of them that we put on there. Will it take six strong men to get you back in the church? <laughs> that was fine. It was get you, get you to think about things. Here it took four men. And they didn't quite get the church. They got to Jesus' house. So they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. Now, I look. At, I always try and look this up. It was about five years ago, last time we covered this, this uh, miracle. Last time we looked at this, about five years ago. So what I did when we went through this one is I took all the notes from all the times before 
There was about five different times over the course of time. We've, we've covered this. And I actually took them and, and put them aside. And I went into this like it was brand new. I said, we've got to find out what is it we're going to look at this here today. I came up with so many notes on this. I just had to, I had to put them aside. You see, if you, it's dangerous. Don't give me too much time to sit down there and, and study a thing because I'm just going to come out with so much. We'll, we'll be here till you know, Eagles game starts, which is not till tonight, right? <laughs> I think they're, they're a nighttime game. We got to be careful. We really appreciate it. I don't get to say this all the time. Sometimes I make notes to make mention of that. But uh, you folks who um, uh, just support the church here and you put things in on the pastor's offering, we just really appreciate that. Always make mention of, of all that. But um, that's uh, what, you, what you guys put in the pastor's offering gets, gets added to a salary that we have. Uh, about 15, 16, I don't know, a bunch of years ago, we took the salary we had from church and we reduced it by a great amount. Because uh, things were just a little tight, getting things by, so we reduced it back then. We never increased it. We never, uh, we haven't touched, we haven't increased it in all these these years since, since then. When you guys put things in in the pastor's offering, that uh, basically is the increase that we get. And we really appreciate that. So we'd just like to let you know, by you, when you folks do that, it gives me time to sit and study and and get into these things and um, and be able to bring them on out to you and help answer some of your questions that you have. And as I've often said, I love it when you guys give me questions. Because you sometimes ask questions that I didn't ask. And then I get to go and find out what's the answer to those questions. I like, I like asking, answering questions here on, on this one. Particularly this, this one. This one, we're going after this. What can we expect from people that are praying for us? I want us, I want us to find that out as we go through here. That's not a question that we took on in the last times we've, we've looked at this. So they came bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come there because of the crowd, so they saw they couldn't even get in the door, were not able to get in there, could not come near him because of the crowd. They uncovered the roof where he was. So they go up on the roof. This is not an uncommon thing around our our houses. It's not easy for you. Well, I can't get in the door. Let me go up on the roof. That's not how it is there. You're able to get up on on the roof a lot more. Now, some people, you don't like to get up on the roof. I like to get up on roofs. I like to be up on roofs. Some people don't like heights. I don't mind heights. We had a particular roof when we lived down here in Warrington, and the barn had an extremely steep roof. I don't know why they made it this way. It was much steeper than, than most. So it's a little bit more dangerous to be up there, and it, uh, it went up uh, about as high as most houses. It was not a one-story garage. It actually had an entire room up on top and a pointed, very, very pointed uh, ceiling on that. And so um, my Christ, uh, Christian, my son, he, he loved these kind of things too. So we put the ladder on the house and we would go up there on the roof. You had to be careful though because if you start sliding, you're going to go right on, down and off the roof. But uh, as we moved out of that house, my wife had this particular weather vane that was out on the, you know how they do the, the, the like the barns? They have the, the beam that comes out of the top center. And at the end of the beam, they put different things. Well, they put this weather. Her grandparents had put this weather vane there. And as we're getting ready to go, she says, I want that. All right. So uh, Christian and I, we went up on the, on the roof. And so we got, got out there on the roof. And then the only way that you can do this is to get up on that 4x4 four four beam, shimmy on out to the edge of the thing, get your little screwdrivers and, uh, and stuff like that and undo the thing. And pull it off. So I'm handing it back over to him, the, the different parts we're, we're on. Uh, I don't think she realized what she was asking me when she said she wanted that. But um, we had fun. 
Now, sometimes people yell at you when you get out there and you're hanging like that. On the, but, you know, you somebody asked you to do it. So they weren't able to, to do those things. But it's it's not like it is here. You had a pretty easy way to get up on the roof. And apparently uh, they would use this as a, kind of like a porch. And so it was flat. You could go up there and you could sit on the on that area and be outside, but still be uh, in the city and uh, at your home. So they couldn't come near him there, so they go up on the roof where he was. So they decided, well, the only way we're going to be able to do it is if we break through the roof. And then we can lower him down. Now that meant they had to have some rope, so either somebody had to go out to the Ace Hardware and get some, or maybe they brought some rope with them, but somehow they had to have some rope to put this on so they could lower him down on there, and they just decided, let's just open up the roof. What would you think if you had a guest who came over to your house, was not invited to come to your house, and started opening up your roof? Now, see, it changes a little bit when it's not Peter's house, it's Jesus' house. This is Jesus' house, Jesus is ministering, and all of a sudden, some tiles and some debris is coming down from the top as they're opening up the roof. How many can think of a question that would come to your mind? As you're sitting in your house and people are tearing apart your roof. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now here's the part we don't get covered in any part of the scriptures. What was going on when the people in the house began to realize that someone was breaking through? What's going on? I, I mean, there are people down there. It's It's packed. It's not like Jesus has a whole lot of room around them. It's packed. If they're breaking through, stuff will fall straight down on them. How many of you know that if people are in a house and things from the ceiling begin to fall down on them, they're real pleasant about it? No, they'll start yelling, what are you doing? Hey, that's falling on me. Yo, I hit my kid. Stuff like this will be be coming out of their, their mouths. But they kept on going. And then they put the ropes on. And then they start lowering him down. Now the word here, paralyzed, um, that we have translated paralyzed, it actually means sick of the uh, palsy, but King James will will put it that way. The word comes from paraluticus. It's made up of two words, luo and loose, or which which is to loose, and para, which is alongside. Basically, what this is, is saying is it is the they're suffering from a relaxing of the nerves on one side. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like a stroke. Stroke hits one side. That seems to be what has happened here. Now, this stroke may have hit him some time ago. We're not really told how long it was that he was in this condition. We just know that he was. But in this one, when it says paralytic, it's it's not his entire body. It seems to be one side, just from the wording that is being used here. So right side, left side, one of those sides, it's all done, and he's not able to get around as well as he could before. So they put him on a bed, and they bring him on in. Now, verse 5 is extremely interesting. I hope you will find this as interesting as I do. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Whose faith did he see? He saw the friend's faith. When he saw... Their faith. He did not see the faith of the paralytic. He does not mention anything about the faith of the paralytic. Apparently, the paralytic seems to be 
bystander on this. And yet he's the one receiving it. Their faith is what's involved. But look at this. I want you to see this. In not only Mark, I'm going to read for you Matthew chapter 9 and verse 2. This is just the same account Matthew's telling about it. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. When Jesus saw their faith. So two times we have it mentioned that Jesus saw their faith. Right? Like I said, I hope you find this as interesting as I do. Now, last week, the centurion, with the centurion, Jesus acted on the faith of the centurion to heal the servant. So it's not unusual that Jesus acted on someone else's faith for that particular cause. And there's other places we could look at in the Word of God as well. But it said when he saw their faith, it's not the paralyzed man's faith, he's never mentioned. So my question is, how did Jesus see it? Now, I have a view of Scripture that may be different from some people. Most of you have been around here. You probably have come to understand this about me. But one of the views I have of Scripture is this. If the Bible, if the account that I'm looking at gives me enough detail to formulate a question, a valid question. Some people come up with questions and there's just no validity to it. But if it gives me enough detail to come up with a valid question, then I am of the impression that it also gave me enough detail to know the answer. That's how I look at Scripture. I will look at Scripture. I've always looked at Scripture. As far as I can tell, I always looked at it this way. If it gives me enough detail to formulate the question, then it has given me enough detail to formulate the answer. Because if the Bible wants me to formulate the question, it also wants me to have the answer. I don't like this stuff where people say, well, the Bible told me, is telling us that there's a question here. And so I just prayed and God told me. No, no, no. If the Bible is going to tell us the question, then it is the Bible that needs to give us the answer. So, I am under the impression that this story gives us everything we need to know to answer this question. So I wrote down some things. Did Jesus see their faith in the words they spoke to the man? Are there any details of the words that these friends spoke to the man? No. That can't be it. Is it in the prayers that they made? I don't see any prayers that they made. Do you? How about the words they spoke to the condition? Well, if they did, it's not in the Scripture. That can't be it. How about in the request that Jesus made, like the centurion? The centurion, his faith was seen in the question that he asked. But we don't have anything that these people said. So there can't be faith that he saw in the words that they spoke. Here's one. Did Jesus just see into the spirit realm and saw their faith? Well, if it did, left that out of the scripture. How many times does Jesus tell us when he sees things in the spirit realm or he perceives, it does mention that. So, in the scripture, in this count, there's only one thing that we can focus on. 
And that is their actions, what they did. Their actions showed Jesus that they were of faith. So, i got to figure out what their actions are. Now, I put this note in your Bibles, or in your Bibles, I'm sorry, in your outline. Christians often do things because of faith, but they don't actually do them in faith. Very often, Christians will do things because of faith teaching they've heard, faith teaching they've received, but they themselves are not actually in faith. I ask God for things or to do things because that's what faith taught me to do. But when I actually do them, there's no faith actions that are generated by what God said, who He is. Now sometimes we get into this too. We'll ask God to make someone do something. Of course, the most notorious one is, all right, Father, I really like that one. Cause that one to want to marry me. No, God doesn't. God does not make people do things. Maybe people are praying for the folks over in Israel, praying something like this. God, make the people of Hamas stop bombing the people in Israel. No, God does not make people do things. Father, make my boss make a decision to give me a race. God does not make people do things. Whenever we fall into a prayer, and we do it all the time, I'll tell you, if you just listen to yourself this week, you will find yourself falling into it probably once or twice. God, will you make this person do this? Oh God, please just work on them that they would... They would do this. They would do the right thing. We can't do that. If I make that prayer, notice what this is. This is, how, this is why this is important and it's so subtle. If I make that prayer, by my words, I am speaking doubt to the things the Word of God has written. I am saying, I don't believe what your Word says about not causing people to do things. But in this situation, because I feel this way, because I think it's important, I think you will put that aside and do what I'm asking. Boy, I'll tell you what, folks. Be careful about that. Don't be messing in that, that area. Did David pray, God, just make Saul stop wanting to kill me? He didn't do that. Because what if the actions that I do sometimes negate the teaching of God's Word, which takes me out of the area of faith, puts me into the area of doubt. You ask God to give you something that His Word does not promise or His character doesn't support. I think I'm in faith. You may think you're in faith, but you are actively doubting the things that faith is built on. Faith is not built on what you feel. Faith is not built on what you desire or want. Faith is built on what God promised and what God said. Make sure you stay with that. Now, it was their faith that moved Jesus, so we want to understand what is this faith? What is this thing that he saw? They were first off absolutely sure that Jesus would change him. Not only that Jesus would change his condition, but that Jesus would want to. Do you see any doubt in these people at all that they want or that they 
believe that Jesus Christ is willing to heal and able to heal. Is there any doubt? No. We did run into one guy before, though. I know you're able, but are you willing? It doesn't seem like these folks have any problem on either of these ends. They know he is willing, and they know he is able. Now, Jesus is is there. He hears whatever the crowd is saying to him. And you all know people don't just sit by while stuff is falling down upon them. They are making commentary. They are saying things. Yo, we're in a meeting down here. Knock it off. They didn't knock it off. They continued to go on and they lowered him down. When Jesus saw their faith, they are undeterred by any of the words that people spoke against them. Now this is, as, as far as we can tell anyway, this is Jesus' house. If they lived in the town, they knew whose house it was. What do you think they might have perceived about Jesus having his house torn apart? I don't know. If, if Think about it this way. Would you go over to your neighbor's house and start digging up their lawn? Do you think that would be received? Probably not. That won't be. That won't go over too well. How about going over next door and taking their siding off? That's probably not going to go over real well. You wouldn't do that, would you? So why is it that these guys are motivated to go up on the roof and start tearing the roof apart? Making a hole in the roof. They're apparently not concerned about what Jesus thinks about it. So, just get this picture. These guys go up on the roof because we are going to find a way to get in front of Jesus. We're going to find a way. There's an urgency to them. That urgency almost lends itself for me to think that this condition has not been too long-term. If it had been long-term, they probably could have found a time to, to, to get him, but it's probably more of a short-term. That's just my feeling on it. I can't prove that from anything in the language or, or, or so forth. We're going to get this thing taken care of. We want our friend to get back and walking around again. So they find a way. They start tearing apart the roof ignoring the comments that are made from below and lower him right down and put him in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, what did he see? First off, they're not deterred by the people that are around them, casting negative thoughts. Secondly, they are so convinced that Jesus wants to heal people that he would not even mind them tearing apart his house. That's knowing who Jesus is, isn't it? Wow. And they knew that Jesus could change this condition. So they determined that Jesus prefers to heal more than preserve his house. So I, I summarize it this way. So their faith was understanding who Jesus was, what he wanted to do, and what he valued more. I can deduce that just from the things that we have there in the, in the part. Now, in your bulletin, you all saw the cartoon? Little boy telling what happens. This is when you're grown up, when you get pajamas that don't have feet in them anymore. Then you know you've grown up. Spiritually, though, one of the signs that you are growing up spiritually is that you can influence others for good instead of bad. 
How many people you have folks in your life, they influence you, influence you, but influence you for bad. They influence you for doubt. This guy has got friends, and these friends have seen his condition, whether he just fell into this condition recently, or he's been in it for a little bit of time, whatever it was. These friends said, we are not going to rest until you are taken care of. Maybe this guy utters words out of his mouth that were negative. We're not hearing that. Mm-mm. And they started taking him out. Now, I put myself in the position here and I begin to think of some of the things that could have happened here. Can you imagine four guys bringing this, this guy who's got probably paralyzed on half of his body and they're bringing him on in there. He can talk. He can, he can say some things. He can converse with them. And uh, I'll, guys, I appreciate you bringing him out here, but the meeting's full. Maybe we can find another time to come back. And they say, oh, no. No, no, no. No, we're, we're getting you in front of Jesus today. You need to get healed today. I mean, in order for them to do the things they did, there has to be this kind of determination. But if you're being carried, how many of y'all know you don't want to put people out? There's nothing new. These back there, they, they didn't want to put people out. No, no, no. Guys, we'll just come back on another time. It, it's fun. I appreciate you doing it, but you know, there's tomorrow. Jesus probably is not leaving right away. He'll be back. We can come on by. No, no, we don't want you going through this for another day. We're going to find a way. Let's go up on the roof, guys. Yeah, let's go up on the roof. They get up on the roof and they start tearing apart. Guys, we don't want to make the guy mad. I want him to, to lay hands on me. I want him to heal me. We don't want to make the guy mad. Why are you tearing apart his house? We are going to get you in front of Jesus. Now you just settle down. We're going to do it. And they open it on up. Oh, guys, you're dropping stuff on people down in there. Come on, just, just let it go. We'll come back. We'll come back. They are determined. They are determined to get him down there. And when Jesus saw their faith, not the man's faith, he saw their faith. See, they have friends. He had friends. These these friends are going to push him on. That's what you want. You want friends that are going to push you on. We have more to talk about that later on. But I want you to read the I want to read the amplified version of Mark two and verse five. And he said to the paralyzed man, "Son, your sins are forgiven you, and put away. That is, the penalty is remitted, and the sense of guilt removed, and you are made upright and in a right standing with God." This is what he says to the paralyzed man. He comes to the paralyzed man, and he says, "Sons, your sins are forgiven." Now the amplified. Of course, they add all the extra words in there, but it's it's in line with what this is meaning. Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, that's what we have in there, but look at this. And put away, that is, the penalty is remitted, the sense of guilt removed, and you are made upright and in a right standing with God. The Amplified renders Matthew 9 and verse 2 this way. And he said to the paralyzed man, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven and the penalty remitted. How many people does he deal with the sin issue before he heals them? One. The one we saw before, the lame man of Bethesda, he did deal with the mistakes he was making after he healed them. Told them to change the way you're living. But this one, before... He says anything about him being healed, he deals with the sin question. If this is the only time that Jesus does this, how many know that it's important? Only time that he does this. 
He deals with the same question first. Well, why does he do this? Now, there's, there are some great parallels to how sin affects the spirit, and it's the same way the paralysis affects the body. And we've covered this before. We've gone over that and compared them. If you're interested in that, uh, let me know. I'll give you a, a forward to the uh, places that we covered this before. But if I do that, we're not going to get over the things we want to take a look at here today. But just know there are some great parallels between these two conditions, paralysis and what sin can do to you. If you're thinking that God is mad with you, or hostile against you, it takes me out of position to receive from God. So Jesus removed the issue. This I don't know how this man was living. I don't even know what the man was doing. Maybe when he when the stroke hit, maybe he was doing something he shouldn't have done. And you know how our minds work. If you're doing something, I don't think I should be here. And then the stroke happens. Oh, it was because I was doing that. If I hadn't been there, that probably wouldn't have happened. How many have ever done that? Oh, if I only hadn't been getting involved in this, I probably wouldn't have been dealing with this part of. He could have been having that, and he could just be saying inside himself, "Uh-uh, we, we can't be doing this. I can't be receiving." Now, last week I asked the question. This is the one I wanted to get back to. People with great faith, are they having infirmities? Do conditions come upon people because of a lack of faith? We saw before that the centurion had great faith. Many times, religion, people have taught things along this line. The reason that you are having trouble on your job, the reason that you are having trouble in your body, the reason that you are having trouble with whatever the situation is, is because you don't have enough faith. How many have ever heard that? You don't have enough faith. How much faith did the centurion have when Jesus met him? Or met the representatives? How much faith did he have? According to Jesus, great. Great faith. He had great faith. But he still had a servant who was in a bad condition. We haven't gotten to this story yet, but the woman with the issue of blood, how much faith did she have when she came upon Jesus? Remember how Jesus described her faith? Great faith. Great is your faith, he said to her. Yet, despite her fact that she had great faith, wasn't she still sick? She still had the condition. You can find other places in the Word of God where this is true. People who had great faith still had the condition that was affected. So, if just the mere presence of faith would fix it, then why didn't it fix it for them? Because you can have great faith, but not a place to apply it, so it changes your situation. What you need to find out is, what do I need to do with the faith that I have? Now, let me take you to another verse of Scripture. We're doing this off the top of our heads here, but I think you'll remember it. Remember when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, increase our faith. What did Jesus say? Great request. Be increased. Did you do that? No. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's a process. You gradually come into that. No, what we, what we need is a place to apply the faith that we have. 
we have to apply the faith that we have. That's what the centurion did. He found a place to apply the faith that he had. That's what the woman with the issue of blood did. She found a way to apply the faith that she had. The reason that we still have conditions is we have not yet found a place to apply the faith that we have. Because the Word of God teaches us that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can do what? We can move mountains. I don't think the amount of faith that you have is the problem. But if you think that, you'll be in bondage to it. Then you won't get what you what you need. So we didn't fully answer that. Got on it, got started on it, just didn't finish finish it off. So I want to make sure I got back on that. Mark uh, 2, 6. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? I'll bet you many times that we have read this, we have thought in our head. In fact, if somebody were to stop you out in the street, parking lot out there, and they were to bring you up to the story, we would have probably surmised that these people were talking with each other. They were murmuring and grumbling. How many would have surmised that they were murmuring and grumbling about this when Jesus did this? You see what he just did? He just said, your sins are free. You can't see. Nobody but God can forgive sins. But that is not what the Bible teaches. Look what the Bible teaches. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. So this is multiple scribes reasoning the same thought. How do you get a bunch of people to be thinking the same thought? Because we fed on the same stuff. They all fed on the same thing. They didn't have to converse with each other. They're thinking it's just inside themselves. They're thinking, what is he doing? No one can forgive sins but God. And they're all thinking the same thing. They did not talk about it out loud. They were not murmuring out loud in the group. Now here's the thing. This is where a lot of Christians get off. Watch these scribes. Watch these religious leaders. They expect Jesus to value as most important what they do. They expect Jesus to value as most important what they do. The people who brought the paralytic understood what Jesus valued and worked within it. These people understood what they valued and expected Jesus to work within it. And when he stepped outside and he began to do something that they did not think should happen, that their values didn't allow, then they had a problem. Their friendships here, the scribes, their friendships, the things, the conversations they have outside, not they have no conversation here, but the ones they had over lunch, over dinner, during the week, those conversations, those friendships brought them into doubt. It brought them into doubt. They all came into the exact same doubt. The friendships that the man, the paralytic has, brought him into faith action. And not taking no for an answer. No, no, we are not leaving. We are going to find a way to get you there. That was faith action. These guys didn't. They were in faith doubt. 
I've mentioned this to you a number of times before, but you know, depending upon who you get involved with and what you get involved with, it can change your life. Every once in a while, I run into a person. Uh, Marty was by, and he was telling me, you know, his girls were getting involved in cross country. And every once in a while, I run into somebody else, and they say they're going to get involved in cross country. And I always warn them. I warn them before they get involved. I said, you got to be careful, because that sport will change your life. More so than any other sport. I've been involved in football. I've been involved in wrestling. I've been involved in baseball. I've been involved in softball. I've been involved in basketball. I've been involved in hockey. But there's something about cross country. I tell people all the time, it'll change your life. You will never think normal again. Normal will be gone. You will lose all sense of normality. Because what is now normal to you is completely alien to everyone and all your friends. And they will, you gotta be careful with how you talk. And you really do. You have to, you face pain differently. You face adversaries differently. You face food differently. You're, you think differently. Things that stop you, you think about them, and it's not something that you do, it's just something, all the cross country, we all get together, we all sat together at lunch because nobody else could stand us, I think. And we would all sit together at lunch and dinner, and we just, uh, we pushed each other into this area. Get people that push you into the area of faith, to get you to think things faith-wise and not doubt-wise. That's where you want to be. Their friendships brought them into doubt. Questioning God in your heart instead of seeking His Word or talking to Him about it is a sure sign of a doubt condition. If you want to know, am I in a doubting place? If on the inside you begin to question some of the things that His Word is talking about, some of the things you see in the Word, instead of talking to God about it or seeking what His Word says on it, you're in a doubting spot. And if you get to this place where, well, if you don't see this the way I do, you're just a blasphemous Christian. And that's what they did. Jesus didn't see this the way that they did. Therefore, he was blasphemous. Now, I want you to see something. We haven't read this so far, but over in Luke's gospel, Luke tells us something about this meeting that is very unique and no one else points this out. But Luke points it out. That's in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. That reference is in your outline. I want you to be able to find it in case you want to go back and see it. Now, it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now, we're, we live in a world where pronouns are, are everything, right? He, she's, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I don't get into that. It's, I am a he. If I look at you and you don't have the appearance of a he, then you are a she. And if that offends you, then you can just go someplace else. I don't need to address you. That's, that's fine with me. But we know that the power of God being present to heal them is more than one. How many people got healed in this meeting? One. But the power of God was present to heal them. Which means there's more than one sick person there. The power of God was present and it would have changed their condition. But the power of God did not heal them it healed him. That was it. 
The reason for it is because they decided to question. Luke described the beginning of this meeting. Apparently, this meeting may not have started out as a healing meeting, but the intention was for it to become one because the power of God was present to heal. Now, here's another question that you can get out of this. We all know, we've looked at it so far, the centurion was healed by how? Authority or power? Authority. Centurion came to and says, look, I understand authority. You just saved this thing, go, and it's going to go. The centurion servant was healed by authority. The fever of Peter's mother-in-law was, was healed by authority. Jesus spoke a word. The unclean spirit was cast out by authority. Jesus spoke a word to the demon spirit, and the demon spirit left. How was the man at the pool of Bethesda healed? He gave him a command. When he followed the command, the power came upon him. I was, he was done by power, not authority. There was no authority that was, that was given or used. So if you ask this question, was this man healed by power or authority? Which one's he healed by? All right, well, we had the beginning of the meeting. The beginning of the meeting states, Luke says, that the power of God was present to heal them. So that might lend us to the point that he was healed by power. We're spending time on this because I want you to understand. You can be healed by the power of God and you can be healed by the authority of God. And it makes no difference in what your condition is as to which way you have to go. So what, that's trying to answer this one. How was this man healed? Let's go on, verse 8. Got to make sure I come back to that. But immediately when Jesus, this is Mark chapter 2, verse 8, but when, immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he just knows this in his spirit, he perceives it, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? So Jesus knows, well, I picked this up and I know it's so, so he just speaks it out. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? Weiss puts the end of Mark 8 this way. And immediately, having become fully aware in his innermost being that in his, in this manner, they were debating within themselves. On the inside. That's where the debate was going on. Matthew 9, 4 reads this. Why do you think evil in your hearts? He called it evil. You're not just reason. You're thinking evil in your hearts. Some Christians, they speak words without any substance or real faith behind them. They just speak things. There's no substance or real faith behind what they're saying. How does this man forgive sins? There's no substance to it. They're just saying things. There's a lot of times Christians do the same thing. You know, if we get a condition, I heard, uh, you know, there's one lady, be around her all the Whatever happened. Whatever happened to her. Well, I just believe by Jesus Christ, I'm healed. Oh, I just believe by Jesus Christ. Now, no, you know, you keep saying that. There's no faith to that. You're just saying, you're just repeating things that are, that are being said. You're neither accessing the power of God nor you're operating under the authority of God. And that's why their condition for this person never changed. Sometimes we just say things because this is what I want. I don't want to go through this. Therefore, I'm going to say it this way. I'm going to say, my arm is not broken as it snapped halfway in. My arm is not broken. 
Because I believe that if I do that, I won't have to go through all that. There's no faith to it. I just don't want the inconvenience of having to go through all that. Sometimes that's all Christians do. We're just reasoning in our heart. Verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. That's not the religious leaders, but that is the the other people. So, we have here the authority of God is mentioned and the power of God is mentioned. So, which one actually healed the guy? Verse 11, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Sounds real similar to what happened over at the pool, didn't it? To him he said, rise, take up your bed and, and walk. But this one he says, go to your house. That's a little different. So immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God. Now, that's no small feat. You remember how packed the house is? They couldn't get in? Now someone on the inside has to get out carrying a bed. I'm sure they made room for him. Jesus would speak words of authority to conditions to get them to change. But he would tell people to do something to get them to access the power. The power of God was present to heal, but still Jesus gave him something to do to access that power. Just because you're in the presence of power doesn't mean it will work on you. There needs to be something, some kind of obedience to do with Jesus. So he said, go to your house. He said, be leaving the meeting and go to your home. Be leaving the meeting when you go into your home. Now, I put up for you, some of you, how many listened to our brother Rick Renner's teaching on um, on the pool of Bethesda? How many listened to that one? How many didn't go back and listen to that? That's okay if you didn't. It's, uh, it's, it's fine. He said something in there, and it made me go back because I didn't really spend a whole lot of time on, on this word. He used he, he went back and looked at the word Lord, that the, the man at the pool called Jesus Lord. He said, he used the word kurios, which means Lord. And so uh, when we were reading it, it said, Sir. And so he spent that, that this man was yielding himself to Jesus as Lord. Now, I went back after he, he did that. I said, no, hold on a minute. Let me go back and check this thing on out. Now, the, the word kurios is used about 748 times in Scripture. Of those 748 times, most of the time it is translated Lord, sometimes Lord with a lowercase, and Master. Twelve times it is not. There are twelve times this is not translated as Lord. It is translated as Sir, as we read when we saw it. So what's the difference? Now, it can mean Lord. It most often means Lord. But it can also mean Sir, respect. Not necessarily yielding, but respect. So, how do we know the difference? Well, I went back and I checked out some of the other places where this was translated, Sir. And I'm just going to tell you the, the stories. You remember when um, the woman at the well, when she addressed Jesus, she addressed him as, Sir, you have nothing to draw water from. That's the same word, kurios, 
Sir, give me this water. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She said things. She said it three times. She used that word three times in addressing Jesus. Mary, in John chapter 20 and verse 15, said, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. It's the same word for Lord. Why do they translate it, Sir, here? Now, three times in Matthew, this word is translated, Sir, one time in Luke and once in Revelation. You remember when John met the angel? And he said that the angel asked him a question. And in chapter 7, verse 14, John said to the angel, Sir, you know. He used that same term. Seven times, though, this word, sir, is, tr- this, this word is translated, sir, in John. So, what's the difference? Simply this. In order for you to use kurios as a term for Lord and submission, there needs to be a knowledge of him. There needs to be a knowledge of him. You are submitting to him because I know you are Lord. In the case with the woman at the well, she didn't know who Jesus was. Therefore, she cannot know him as Lord. John in heaven is, it is translated sir because he is not addressing him as Lord because he knows he is an angel. When Mary addressed the gardener, she thought was the gardener, she addressed him as Curios, Lord, but it's translated Sir because she didn't know who she was addressing. Therefore, it was a term of respect, which is why it is translated Sir. And when you see the man at Bethesda, it is translated Sir because this man has no idea who Jesus is. He is not yielding to him And that is not what gave him the open door. He doesn't even know who he is. Who told you to pick up your bed? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. There's no knowledge of him. That's why you'll see those times, 12 times it is used, it's translated sir, because it's missing that aspect. And they go with the other meaning for it and said, I totally agree with the times that they've used it and the times that they've done that. Well, here we have with this this particular situation, does he submit to the, the things that God is, is saying? Well, he does. But he doesn't really, he may have more of a knowledge of who Jesus was, but when Jesus says to him, take up your bed and walk, we don't have any kind of address that he used for this man like we had before. But he, he obeyed it. He obeyed him. So here's the, here's the combination I want you to see. First off, Jesus sees the man. He says, your sins are forgiven. So if you are seeing anything that you have done sin-wise, I've missed it, I was doing something I shouldn't have done when this thing hit me, whatever it might be, whatever hang-up was in his head, Jesus is there and he says, your sins are forgiven you. At that moment, that man has to submit to the authority of Jesus to receive the healing of sin. He had to believe that. No one else did. The other people we have that we had their thoughts, they didn't. No, no, no. He can't do this. They did not submit to that aspect. This man didn't have any such problem. And he received that forgiveness. Now he sees himself in a right standing and a rightful place. Your sins are forgiven you. And Jesus says, All right, if you want to know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, 
Rise, take up your bed, and walk. He said, what's easier to say? Let's do the, let's do the harder thing. And he says to him, go home. Now, why is he saying go home? Jesus always has a purpose in whatever it is he says. Maybe he wanted to be in the meeting. Man, I just got healed. I want to be in this meeting. I want to stay right here. Maybe he wanted to stay behind and help fix the roof. Whatever it was, he submitted, took up his bed, and he went home. For some reason, Jesus wanted him out of the house. And without needing a full explanation, the man obeyed. That's what we need to get to place. Without needing a full explanation, we just obey. Those uh, scribes, and as Luke expands it, tells us that the Pharisees were involved there too. They had a hard time submitting to Jesus because they questioned the things that he said. God is going to ask you some things. He's going to tell you some things. And how you receive those things depends on where you go. Let's wrap this up. How can others around me help? Some people, they want other people to help. And you tell me if you've looked for it this way. I'm going to get as many people as I can praying for me because the more prayers that are made to God, the better shot I got. To fall into that is to disbelieve the written word of God. The righteous prayer of a... I'm sorry, the effective prayer of a righteous man or person avails much. Doesn't say you need to have everybody. Sometimes we think that. Well, I just need to get more people involved in this. I've seen that hurt people. I've seen it take them right on down. There's one person, they were facing death, they were facing a really tough situation, and they would, we would get on the phone together and we would talk. And uh, we would spend some time, there all kinds of doubt and unbelief had gotten in, and we would talk on through. We'd sometimes spend a half hour, 45 minutes, I think I'd spend an hour on the phone. And we'd, all right, well, we got all that doubt and unbelief out. And then they would go back to their friends. I, I mean, I'm not talking unsaved friends, we're talking minister friends, people with titles like apostle and prophet and whatever else they, they had on there, and go on back there with these folks, and then uh, we'd, we'd talk later on. You know, it might be a week, two, three, whatever time it was. Uh, we'd get together and we'd, we'd chat again. And all this doubt and unbelief is in there again. These people were throwing doubt and unbelief in. And then I heard some of the things that were going on. Said, well, no wonder we got that doubt and unbelief going on. Those prayers are not helping you out. Now, some people just want the sympathy that other people would bring. Remember Lazarus? All the sympathizers that were there? Remember the Jairus' daughter? All the people that were hired, they brought her on in to mourn. Jesus put them all out. We don't need you guys here. You need to have something with some faith roots. Whatever you do, whatever you glean from people, there needs to be something in the Word of God that helps us. I think I left this in your outline for you, but God's power over the invisible is never truly demonstrated to the world until they see God's power over what is visible. Authority over forgiveness of sin that's invisible. I need to see something that's visible. That's what Jesus is telling them here. All right. I'm going to prove to you that I have what you cannot see by showing you what you can. In the name of Jesus. And he would speak things. And this one, he just said to this person, rise, take up your bed, and go home. We need people 
will be like these friends. Not sitting around begging God. As far as I can tell, not a single one made, a, made, made any kind of plea to Jesus. Jesus, take care of him. Jesus, heal him. Nope. They just opened the roof up, lowered him down. That's it. Jesus looks up, and when he sees their faith, didn't hear their faith. All the accounts. And he saw their faith. Saw what they did. Didn't hear it. So they're going back over what we saw earlier. Their faith was first off understanding who Jesus was, what he wanted to do, and what he valued more. I abbreviated this way. Who he is, what he does, and what he loves. Who he is, what he does, and what he loves. You understand those things, you can get your, yourself all kinds of places with Jesus. He wants you to know who he is because he reveals himself in his word. He wants you to know what he wants to do. And he wants you to know what he loves. Study his word, find these things out. The religious leaders in the house, they were pushing to understand God and the law. That's all they wanted to understand. That's not faith. They were actually doubting what God said in his word, asserting that their thoughts and their words to a higher level than the will of God that he states in his word. Too many times Christians were doing this. The lame man's friends, they brought him to thoughts and words and actions of faith. And they're not putting up with anything else. Have you ever had a friend like that in your life? See, going back to cross-country again, when you get cross-country people, there's no sympathy from cross-country guys. They have no sympathy for you. You're going through a hard time on that roof. Come on, let's go. Move it. They don't tell you, oh man, you're having a tough time. Just quit. Just, just quit. You know, there's another race. In just a couple of days, don't worry. No, none of them will say it. Not a single one of them will say it. They all say, come on, get going. Come on, move it. You you know you got this thing. They're always pushing you on and they get you to think weird thoughts. So that we think weird things now. You ever, ever been to a doctor? The doctor says, well, well you, know, um, you know, how much pain? I always love that question. How much pain? Rate your pain on a scale of one to ten. I finally just tell doctors this. Doc, look, I am trained to push through pain. So tell me <laughs> what, what you're actually asking. I'll, I'll tell you that I may try and describe some things about it. But don't tell me, you know, does it make you stop doing No. If I'm de- determined that I'm going to get it done, I'm going to get it done. How many of y'all know that? That kind of feeling. Y'all have, you fa- face pain and sometimes you just say, well, I can't quit. You know, if you're a mom and you're facing pain, you can't quit. You still got to get up and get that drink, change that diaper, put it on the bed. And you got you got things pushing you on. That's what you want. You want friends that are going to push you on, not ones that say, "Oh, I am so sorry you're going through all this. Oh, I'm just going to pray for you that you have strength to endure." No. Buck up, guy. What's your confession like? What are you talking about? That's the kind of friends you want. This is what friends can do for you. This is what they can help you with. Sometimes I hear people in Christian circles and they say, well, I'm kind of careful about who I tell this to. Good. Good. Sometimes you need to. Not everything going on in your life is for everybody to hear. Because some people are already, always going to come up to you. Oh, are you doing okay? How are you doing? No, I don't want to hear that. What do you want to hear? Keep moving. Keep going. That's what you want to hear. 
That's where these guys were at. We're not going home. We haven't got you in front of Jesus yet. Let's go to the roof, guys. Let's rip this up. Rip it up? Are you kidding me? Yeah, we're ripping this up. You just hush. We are going to get you in front of Jesus. That's the kind of friends you have. And when Jesus saw their faith, he took attention to this man. Never said the man was in a place. Only talked about them. They're the kind of friends that you have. Remember David? David had a friend like that and Jonathan. Jonathan pushed him on. David pushed him on. And you might be thinking, well, I just don't have people like that in my life. I don't have anybody in my life that I could use that way. Quit it! Quit looking for sympathy. Sympathy is not faith. Remember David? David's cast out. He's cast out from the presence of Jonathan, his close friend. He's cast out from the people that were all there in Jerusalem. Cast out. The army's now chasing him. He used to lead that army. And he goes out there. Remember the people that he found? People that society did not want. The dregs of society. The misfits. The cast-offs. That's what he got. And out of them, he trained them up. He spoke into them. He got them to that place. And we found out he had 300 out of that 600 who were to be feared. We don't know about the other ones. There were some of them that were scoundrels. They just never got above it. They could have. But we know that there were some. Word of God identified some of them. But we had 300 in there and says, oh, these guys are something. And out of that 300, there were 30. Oh, man, the things these 30 people did. And out of those 30, there were three. Oh, man, it describes those in wonderful chapter that that was. Remember, some time ago, we put up a Monday teaching from uh, Randall Cunningham. He was teaching on that because it was one of my favorite chapters. And he did a did thing that's a great thing to go over and to see. But he took the, every single one of those people you were reading about is someone that no one else wanted. And David not only made them into great fighting people, but when he had his kingdom and he was king, he drew from those people to be the people alongside of him. Commander of his army came out of that group. Counselors came out of that group. People who led wars and built things came out of that group. He made the people that he needed. And when he needed them to speak into his life, they did. If you want to say, I don't have anybody in my life, then you're not sowing into the people that are there. What you got to do is you got to find the people that are there and you got to sow into them some faith. You got to sow in them. You got to spur them on into that. And you can do it. So I tell people, you get involved in cross country, you can, you can do it for a year and, and still be safe. But after a year, it's, it's gone. It's over. One year in that sport and you will be changed for the rest of your life. You will never look at things the same way. Now you'll never understand that unless you go through it. I don't recommend that everybody go through it. But those who do, it changes them. You need to get a hold of some people in your life. I'm going to help change them. I'm going to help bring them along to this place. Don't be looking, there's nobody in my life. Don't be saying that. That's just sympathy. That's not faith. No, who can I take? Who can I take? Who's around me? Get people that are not satisfied with shallow answers. Get people that will press into the Spirit to get the real answers. They'll speak truth to you. And you make sure that you don't reject it when you hear it. Now, when you, when you get on out there, you have to make sure that you can not only speak things, but you can also receive things. Because there are going to be people in your life that are going to challenge you. They're going to speak some things to you. Some of those things are wrong. And some of those things you just don't know. There's a difference. You've got to be careful how you're late. You've got to be tied into your spirit. First off, if somebody speaks something to you, I don't know if that's true. But I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to find out. 
But sometimes you hear something and your spirit goes off. That's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Uh, no, we're not going after that. And you put that aside. You don't need to pursue everything. But your spirit will tell you. All right, you don't know that yet, but pursue it. Pursue it. Find out what, what's going on. That's what you want to do. You want to pursue these things. Don't just look around the people and say, well, I don't like this one. If everybody in your life is someone you can't trust, more than likely the problem is on you. And you, believe it or not, folks, not only are you in pride, but you're also in doubt. I am not. Yes, you are. It's just being covered up by a whole lot of stuff. Humble people help other folks. And that's what you got to do. Make sure. I put in your outline this. God doesn't just reject. He instructs first. There were people that God rejected, but He always instructed them first. When they failed to listen to the instruction, when they kept disobeying, when they kept going against the things of God, then He changed it. You may say something like, well, I don't know why, but I just don't trust that person. Um, the problem is probably with you. They haven't had a chance to reject anything yet. I know about 20 Bible verses that may show their point, but I just don't feel it in my spirit. And you're yielded to your flesh, not your spirit. Remember Jesus, Paul even too. They always try to instruct first. They didn't reject those who came against them until repeated rejection of what God was doing. It took repeated rejection. You haven't even put people in a place where they can reject it once. One more thing for you. The people around you that you make better could be the very people who carry you when you need help. So find some people around you and make them better. Because there may come a day when you're like this guy, everything was going along fine, that all of a sudden half your body doesn't work. And he had friends who carried them, carried him, and brought him around. Would you all stand up with me? And Father, I thank you that you can help us to develop those people that are around us, that just as David developed those that were around him, you can bring us to a place to develop those that are around us. I thank you, Father, that you will give us wisdom, insight, and direction, that we can train up the people that are around us to make them stronger and better. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, glory to God. Got a couple of things here for you at the end. Tomorrow, we have our, our usual posting that comes up. I have a uh, teaching that comes up that's going to go over some principles that you may wonder about. Uh, if you've been around here, you know we have Hallelujah Night. We do things. We don't do the, the trick-or-treating things and, and stuff like that. If you ever wondered why that is, uh, Brother Fred Price Jr., this is his son. He's not a true junior, but uh, it's a, this is his son. He's, uh, he took over the church that's over there. He was teaching on, this is about, uh, I think it was about from five years ago, but it still still works. And he's teaching on that. I know most of these things, but he was talking about some things with bobbin for apples. How many of you know bobbin for apples? I did not know the history of bobbin for apples. And I did not know, I remember the things about the jack-o'-lantern, but I've forgotten a lot of them. He gets into all those kind of things. We'll bring all that out. Now, as you're listening to it, you will hear uh, Brother Price say this. That he canceled Hallelujah Night. Apparently his father had started Hallelujah Night around there and he canceled it. He will tell you the reasons why he canceled it and I will tell you the reasons why we will not. I enjoy his teaching. I enjoyed the things that he brought out. We still have Hallelujah Night. He brought it out that the people did it as an alternative celebration. So instead of celebrating here, we're going to do that. He even brought out the point that some churches 
had Hallelujah Night on a night other than Halloween so that people could still participate in Halloween. That seems defeating to, to me. Uh, but I guess that if he's saying it, it probably happened. We don't do it as an alternative celebration. We do it so that you don't have to sit at home and have the doorbell ring and not answer it for the entire night. We give you another place to come that you can just be away from all that. So when we have them come out, we don't do the costumes. We don't do the uh, you know stuff like that. Nope, don't bring any costumes and, and all that. We just come on out here and dress normal. We may do something a little bit different this year. We were thinking about just doing a, 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 a movie that everyone would, would enjoy and doing some popcorn and having some fun that way. So uh, then having some games around for people who want to play those things. So that can that can go on. But uh, I hope you enjoy the teaching. Now, if you're going through that, I don't really. I want you know somebody to teach me the word, not just about what things are wrong. wrong. I did this for you. Remember that teaching from Brother Hagen that um, uh, we put up two, and the one we couldn't get back, and Raymond themselves, it, it's gone from their site. All right. Well, it stayed up on our site after we went through all the stuff with with Rayma, and they pulled off the copyright hold. I left it on there, but it's in a private uh, setting, so no one else can no one can see it. No one can can see the thing, but. I can send you out a link to it, and you can play it. You can share that link with other people, but that link is, you can't go to the channel and see it. It's, it's invisible. So, if you're on the text list, and if you uh, look on the Facebook part, that link will be on both of those spots. You can hit that, and you can listen to that particular, there's some great stories on there for healing I really wanted y'all to get hold of, and love for you to be able to have that. So, that is going on, if you uh, want to take part of, of those things. This week, I put in some uh, some notes in there. We're transitioning, chapter 6, chapter 7 in Nehemiah. We're transitioning from building a wall to guarding a city. We are going from a place of living in an unguarded city to a place of living in a guarded city. And there are changes that go on. And we're going to show you how some of this relates to our spiritual life now on that as well. So that's going to be on Wednesday. You can uh, tune in for that. That is... Uh, That is about it. Have a great rest of your day and bless some of the people that are around you.